Hosea chapter 3 and 4 today. As we work our way through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, join us Wednesday night as we are in the book of Song of Solomon. Today, Hosea 3 and 4. We'll read 3 and come back. Then the Lord said to me, go again. Love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. And so I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one and one-half homers of barley. And I said to her, You shall stay with me many days, and you shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man, so too I will be towards you. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, without a prince, without sacrifice, without the sacred pillar, and without the ephod of the teraphim. And afterwards the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God, and David their king, and they shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for our time and for our uh, worship, Lord, that goes before you as a sweet-smelling aroma. Father, spend time with us through your word and as we take communion today as well. Thank you for those serving in the back, Lord, and those listening to us on our radio station. Father, you get all the glory in our lives. Let us focus on you now in Jesus' name. Amen. So chapter 3, that means there was a 1 and 2 before that. That was last week. And how are we, or where are we? We started in Hosea, uh, the first of the 12 minor prophets. Minor not because of their content, minor only because of their length. As you will see today, this chapter is as powerful as any other chapter that you are going to come across in the Bible. And again, this is why we take you through the entirety of the Bible, all 66 books. Why is this so important? Well, you'll see today. It talks about the redemption and the love that God has towards us even while we were yet sinners. Amen? How many sinners in the room? Okay, there's a few of you. You're lying. As a reminder, Hosea, a prophet, was called by God in chapter 1 to marry a prostitute. Remember that. And when he had called him to do that, uh, and I, I like Hosea, right? He, did you, we didn't read any complaint. He's like, Lord, have you seen her? Do you know who she is? Do you know her character? Aren't you glad God doesn't say that about us? You know, Michael's in heaven, like, Lord, I wouldn't go with that one. Have you seen them? Oh, but God knows, yes. And he is giving us this wonderful picture. And again, I hate to use the word story, but he, he unfolds this story of redemption through the pages of Hosea, and it's so beautiful. Well, they have their first child, uh, Jezreel, but the, set, the next two children are, are out of her lifestyle as a, as a prostitute. And again, what did that feel like as Hosea, a man, raising two other kids that are not his? This isn't like they came together in a blended marriage. This was her playing the harlot. What does that feel like? We're going to see a lot of in-depth emotion out of this chapter 3, and we will get into chapter 4, and it's third service, so we got a lot of time. You just got an extra hour of sleep by Thanksgiving. Yeah, thanks to the government, that will never happen again. They are suspending that. We are permanently going on. Well, we'll get to that next year. Oh, thanks, government. A lot of government in our passage today, especially when we get into chapter 4. So that's the foundation of it. Now, some time has elapsed between chapter 2 and 3. We're not sure exactly how long. Possibly these kids are a little bit older by then. So let's read verse 1 and we'll dive into it. Hosea chapter 3. Then the Lord said to me, he's speaking to Hosea, Go again. I want you to circle or highlight that word again. 
Because it seems like this has not been the first time, right? I mean, hence the word again. But he says, go again and love a woman who is loved by a lover and committing adultery. Notice, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel who looked to other gods and loved the raisin cakes of the pagans. So in this chapter, I mean, it just unfolds this scene about the important principle about love and how God loves us and how we are to love the unlovable and those who have hurt us. If we tell others about God's love and forgiveness and yet we are not practicing it ourselves, well, maybe we really don't know about God's love and forgiveness ourselves. You see, we tell others about love and forgiveness. But then here's a chapter where God plays it out on the pages of Scripture and gives us a real-life situation and to which we will unpack. Again, Hosea is directed to love even when it must have been hard to love her. I want you to put yourself in his position. Him raising these kids, maybe they're a little older, and the kids are asking, where is mom? What does he say? In and, out of, uh, in and out of their lives. Maybe you had a parent in your life that was in and out of your life. See, the great thing about the Bible is that God has these pictures and types and people in the Bible so that we would learn from them in our own life. And we would look at it and say, man, I know what that feels like. I know what that child feels like to have a mom like that, have a dad like that. I know what that feels like. But see, all of this is placed in the parentheses of this is the love of God towards us. Again, often we are filled with many romantic illusions about love. You see, our world is a different love in the time in the Bible is. See, we live in a culture and a time where we have been totally destroyed by a vision or a romantic idea of love that came from books, music, and now Hollywood that isn't God's love at all. We have literally, we are all under a cult of ideas about love that is not God's love at all. It's actually very selfish love. You know, these boots are made for walking, and they'll walk all over you. You see, if it doesn't go my way, these boots are going to go right out the door. That's not God's love at all. But we have, and I need everyone to hear this, your brain has been wired badly, and it has to be unwired to love like God, not like the world. The world is me, it's about, and we'll get into that. It's about what I am not getting, or what I deserve, or my rights. And the Bible knows nothing of that. Thanks to my day in the 80s with big hair and rock music and ballads, that's the world we live in. And Hollywood. And the betrayal of this, that's not real life. You know what real life is? Kids throwing up. The door on the lock to your bedroom broke, and somehow they got in. That's real life. There's all kinds of hurt, and as we'll see, damage, real damage done. But we have come to think that these things have to operate in my life in order for me to love. But that's the world. You're being ripped off by the devil. They don't need to be in place. In fact, if we just get back to the Bible, we would live a happier life. Not a made-up world. Not a, a once-upon-a-time world. That world doesn't exist. Oh, it might be entertaining to fly around on a magic car, uh, carpet or to have a princess hair been let down through the window. But that's not real, is it? 
Real life is filled with real people that are mean and evil. And sometimes you might have a wife like Gomer. You might have a husband. And so what does God say to you today? Listen how tough this is. You see, the scripture shows us a different way. It shows us that love is largely a matter of will. And when we direct ourselves to love someone, God tells us that we must love. We have to use supernatural power by the Holy Spirit to love those. You're like, yeah, I'm living that right now. If it wasn't for Jesus, I would not be here. I would not be in this relationship. I would not be X, Y, Z. You know, you often hear this statement, well, we're not in love anymore, and so it's a valid ground for divorce, they say. But it's not a valid ground because you have a will, and you can choose to love like Jesus. Well, you don't know who they are. Oh, just wait. What was Gomer-like? By the way, if you weren't here last week, that's his wife. Great name. Ladies, you're looking for names for your kids. <laughs> Gomer. Just comes right off the tongue, doesn't it? Come here, little Gomer. <laughs> See, if, you, if we can't laugh, we will, it'll, this is going to kill us today. Because there are people in this room with so much deep hurt, like Hosea, that you barely can sit here today because of what your Gomer has done to you. But God equips us to do the hard thing. Remember, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. Yes? People just don't want to forgive and move on anymore. They like having resentment and pain. It's bizarre to me, but people would rather be miserable than to choose to forgive and to love like God and to be healed from that pain. They're like Linus in the blanket. They love the pain and the resentment. It brings them comfort rather than letting it go. Often you might hear, well, if I forgive them, what if they do it again? <laughs> okay, well, let's go to Jesus. Oh, you got to bring him into it. Yep. Matthew 18. Let me read it to you. No need to turn there. Then Peter came to him. I love Peter. Peter thinks he is always smart. He ends up not being so. But he comes one day and he says, Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother who sins against me? And he thinks he's great at this moment because he says, shall I, shall I forgive him up to seven times? He's like, I got him. What, you got the creator? Yeah, I got it. See, the rabbis taught that three times, that's, that's, that's all you needed to forgive somebody, three times. So he goes, I'm going to double it and add one. Got it. Now, what does Jesus say? He says, I do not say up to seven times, but 70 times seven. <laughs> and I, I have humor in this scene, right? Because I think to myself, as he's walking away, the guys are laughing. <laughs> you thought you were going to get Jesus. He got you. Schooled, burned. You want a little aloe with that burn? That's how I think of the apostles. I think they were going after each other all the time. Who's the greatest? I am. You think that there are these great spiritual giants? Not in the beginning. They became what they became because they've watched Jesus. You see, some of you are thinking to yourself, 490, uh, 451, 452, and you're checking off how many times you've forgiven somebody. And this is what Jesus says, by the time you get to 490, you have forgotten the offense. Jesus said, if you do not forgive men of their trespasses, neither will our heavenly Father forgive you of your trespasses. Is that heavy? 
Hosea shows us that the hard things can be done. It's not easy, it's not pleasant, it's downright difficult and often humiliating. Think about Hosea in that town and all the men who have told him, I've had your wife. Think of that as a man. What is going on in his head? And God just said, go get her again? See, until you put yourself in these people's real lives, they're just words on a page. But they are real people that God called to do really difficult things. Again, when God calls us to do something, he also gives us the ability to do it. That's what the Holy Spirit's about. To give us the power to live this life and to forgive. Listen, we're going to have communion today. And, and I don't mean this in a wrong way, but you better forgive before you partake. I don't care what anybody has ever done. Look at Hosea. What did she do? What did he hear? What did those kids hear in town about their mom? It's powerful, isn't it? You know what's sad to me is a lot of churches never study Hosea. And they are missing one of the most beautiful sections in all the Bible. And we're going to get to that in the next chapter if I can get out of verse 1. Look, as the example, just like the love of God for the children of Israel. This is the example of God's love. He knows who he chose. He knows us. He knows our nature. He knows that we are prone to wonder. And yet he loves us anyway. And he died for us. Verse 2 says, So I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver, and one and a half homers of barley. Uh, remember, she's his wife. Why is he buying her? She got herself in such a pickle that she is now enslaved by somebody else. We, it doesn't say how that happened, but he goes and he spends 15. By the way, just so you know, 30 pieces of silver are the price of a slave. So this woman is such at the bottom of the rank of society. Nobody wants her. And on top of that, the guy wants some food for his animals. How low is she at this moment? Now, you know, we talk a lot about Hosea, and I, and I get that. But maybe you're at the place of Gomer. And you feel like, you're only worth 15 shekels. Or how could anybody love me because of what I've done in my life? And yet Hosea comes on the page to describe for us that God comes into your life and says, I'll take you. You mean with all of, my, with all of your sin? I'll buy you with my son's blood. Huge, isn't it? So we got two people that, in this story. We have the kids as well. So maybe today you feel like Hosea, where somebody has wronged you in such a powerful way that you feel like you cannot forgive them and move on, but Christ looks into that situation and says, yes, you can, I'll give you the power to do it. But maybe you're Gomer and you don't feel worthy of God's love at all. Man, what was that like for her to know that she wasn't even worth the price of a common slave? Her worth had dropped so low. But the enemy will do that. You're nothing to God. He'll never... You, you can't find favor in his sight. So in verse 3, Hosea says to her, You shall stay with me many days, and you shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So too I will be towards you. For the children of Israel shall abide many days. 
without a king, without a priest, without a sacrifice, without a sacred pillar, without an ephod, without a teraphim. And afterwards the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David the king, and they shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. So, verse 4 and 5 describe the nation of Israel. Verse 4 describes it in this way that the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, without a priest, without a sacrifice. This happened as soon as they rejected Jesus Christ. They said, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. They just went into the many days. And now it's the age of the Gentiles. That is our time, the age of the church, where God is pouring his grace and his mercy upon the Gentile world. That's us. And we're thankful that we're grafted in. I'm just thankful we're getting in. I don't care how we get in. I don't care what my crown looks like, even if it's a little beanie hat with the propeller. And by the way, it's funny. Years ago, some guy, I would say it all the time, and then he gave me the beanie hat with the propeller. I literally have it. I should wear it in the rapture. Hold on, Jesus. I'll be the only guy in heaven with the propeller hat. Don't mind at all. Why? Because I'm there. That's the point. And so the nation of Israel will be dealt with in their many days. They don't have a king. They don't have a sacrificial system in, in Jerusalem right now. There is no temple. But as soon as the church is gone, when the church is raptured out of the way, taken out, then God will redeal with the nation of Israel, verse 5. Then afterwards, the children of Israel shall return, and they will seek the Lord their God. Chapter 4. Now, from this point on, God is now using Hosea to bring accusations against the northern tribes. So, again, from last week, as a reminder, we have two different nations. We have the northern tribes. <laughs> we would call them the northern states, right? And then we would have the southern tribes, the southern states, right? And uh, Hosea is primarily ministering to the northern tribe of Israel versus the southern tribe. And so now the court case is brought before us. Verse 1, chapter 4. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel. For the Lord brings a charge, and again, this would be the accusation from the prosecutor, the charges against the inhabitants of the land. And what are the charges? There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. So, God brings these principles to the court. Again, he says, There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. Each of these three points are connected. You see, when God's people forsake the knowledge of God, then soon truth and mercy are gone. You see, truth must be rooted in something more than personal opinion. Look, I'm all for free speech. But if your position and your opinion is not grounded in truth, then we're just believing in fairy tales and <laughs> fairy dust. And, you know, look, we, we might have a, a diesel shortage coming. You know, most people don't even have any idea how food gets to the grocery, though. They just think it magically shows up. Like those in California who charge their car, the magic energy fairy powers my Tesla when I plug it in. I don't know that it comes from a power plant and that there are workers there and those are coal power, power, power plants and gas. That's real. Sorry, I was just going off on a fantasy kick there for a minute. We're going to apply it to the election here in a second. Sorry, I left California. I'm just reeling that I left and am happy. Um, so, when you, have a, when, when you forsake the knowledge of God, then soon truth is going to go away. And then mercy, which means going beyond self-interest. But what is our world today? We don't have truth. If you post truth, you get kicked off for misinformation. And then it's not about mercy, it's about me. I'm offended. Can we just stop as a nation, stop being offended so much? Let's put on our big boy pants and be adults and say, I don't have to be offended at the drop of a hat. My gosh, 
if we had World War II again, we would lose because we would have to have sell, we would have to have safe places for them to hide and little rooms. I can't go into a tank. It's not a safe place. Good. Stop being so offended. So when we leave the knowledge of God, then truth and mercy go out the window. Again, true wisdom and understanding always begin with the knowledge of God. Uh, Proverbs 9 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, so he says, There is no truth, no mercy, or knowledge of God in the land. The second charge is in verse 2. By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break all restraint with bloodshed upon bloodshed, and that's just in Washington, D.C. I was listening to a podcast this week, <clears throat> driving back from Arrowwood. Uh, this is going to blow, it may not blow your mind, it blew my mind, because I think we think, United States of America, we're this bastion of hope and truth and justice and Superman's about to bust through and take care of everything and we don't live in a land of corruption and everything's fine, right? Shelves are full and diesel tanks. We're, this, is, this is America. So I'm listening to this podcast and this researcher says $27 trillion is missing from HUD that's the uh, housing uh, from most of the agencies, from the DOD, Department of Defense. They don't even know where $27 trillion, that's taxpayers' money. They don't know where it is. $27 trillion. Try to put your head around that. And then we send billions to Ukraine. They don't know where that went. They don't even know where, like, we don't have a couple of accountants that can figure it out. I want you to think about that for a minute when you're talking about elections. You see, we think we are all that in a bag of chips. Maybe we used to be, but we live in a banana republic that is literally ripping the entire nation off and giving it to another sector of people. 27 trillion dollars gone and they want to raise your taxes in Horry County it's kind of shocking isn't it I don't know about you but I don't want to give these thieves any more money well, let's keep going I need more God's word and I need communion really quick anybody else need to be washed by the blood of the lamb before an election Okay, then, let's keep going. Whew. So notice what happens in verse 2. So when you put off as a nation, as a nation, we put off the knowledge of God, and then truth is now subjective, and now we don't, uh, we don't think about other people, it's just me, about mercy, then we are going to swear, we're going to lie, we're going to kill, we're going to steal, we're going to commit adultery, and we are going to break all restraint with bloodshed upon bloodshed. Um, I never thought in my lifetime that Roe versus Wade would be overturned. Never thought that was going to happen. But that didn't mean that the bloodshed ended. Because you have states like California and Illinois and New York, which are becoming killing machines. It's good. I think we did a good job for the last 50 years trying to, to get that overturned. And the last time I mentioned this, someone left our church because they were offended that I mentioned Roe versus Wade. Let me tell you something about voting. It's really easy. There is a party for death, and there's a party for life. And that's it. That's as basic as it gets. When you're in there and you don't know what to do, think, up. Oh, there's a side of the aisle that wants to kill, and there's a side that doesn't. 
There's a there's literally nothing more than that. By the way, the politicians are not perfect. They're human beings. But let's just at least try to go for life. Can we try to just do that? I saw a statistic that said after Roe, we increased life in this country by 27,000 babies. In that short amount of time, 27,000 more children are alive today. Because one guy who people said he looked like a Cheeto decided to put some real judges on the bench. I thank God for that. Oh, he's not perfect, nor is the party that he is a part of is perfect. See how I'm threading the line? You know why? Because I am not allowed in this nation to tell you my actual opinion on who to vote for. It's illegal for me to do that. This is America. Do you know in England right now, they just passed a law that if you pray in front of an abortion clinic, you will be arrested. In Canada, they arrest pastors. We just changed our security policy so that if the FBI comes through our door, we know what to do. I don't know what this nation looks like. Certainly not my father's generation or my father's father's generation. It is a nation, listen, verse 6, I know I'm going to jump ahead, that are destroyed because they don't have knowledge. And the government schools don't teach them properly about history. When I was in Germany a long time ago, I asked the guy that was there living, I said, uh, how does Germany deal with the Holocaust? He goes, we don't teach them at all in the schools about the Holocaust. In Germany! Are you kidding me? Now, if you're German, you know that Germans love to push everything under the carpet and that, that it, we won't just talk about it. I'm German. So we have done a very poor job in this nation of educating people. Notice it says in verse 3, therefore the land will mourn. Anybody mourning today? When's the last time you went to the grocery store? When's the last time you filled up with gas? And just so you know, if we run out of diesel in the next two weeks, diesel trucks bring food to grocery store. The ferry doesn't bring it to Kroger at night and magically fills the shelves. It is a truck driver that has diesel in his truck that goes from the, the warehouse to there. And before them, it comes from the processing plant. And before that, it goes to the farmer who needs diesel in his, tr his tractor. <laughs> up at camp, we just filled up our tank because we didn't know if we were going to have diesel. I'm like, fill up the tank quick. So our, truck, our tractors can run at camp. Look, our own country is mourning. And everyone who dwells there will waste away with the beasts of the fields and the birds of the air <laughs> and even the fish. I realize that this may not seem like a perky message. But at the end, we're going to have Jesus, amen? Because this is all man. This is what happens when man puts his hands on something that God gave them. Let's continue. Verse 4, uh, Now uh, let no man contend or rebuke for another, for your people are th like those who contend with the priest. Therefore you shall stumble in the day, and the prophet shall stumble with you in the night, and I will destroy your mother. You know, it's bad enough to stumble at night. You don't really, it's at night. You can't see. But when you stumble in the day, it's your own fault. And then he says in verse 6, Highlight it, underline it. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Listen, because you have rejected 
knowledge. Let me add, or the truth. I also will reject you from being priest for me because you have forgotten the law of your God. I also will forget your children. So, what kind of knowledge did they lack? They lack the knowledge of God. They know God some, perhaps a little, but not enough. Remember, this is the children of Israel. They came out of Egypt. They saw the miracles of God. They were once one nation under David and Solomon. But when they broke apart, they decided that they would come up with their own religion, a man-based religion, a little bit of God and a little bit of man and the paganism, and we're going to bring it together, and then we get what I want. That's the religion for me. And so they have some kind of knowledge. The second kind of knowledge is, it says they had a lack of knowledge of God's word. They had forgotten the law of God. They know the word of God some, perhaps a little, but not enough. <laughs> it shouldn't surprise us that there is a connection between knowing God and knowing his word. Some people think that Bible knowledge is boring and brainy and not necessary for a real walk with God. It should be more emotional. <laughs> God says, I hold my word above my very name. Here's the point. And by the way, this message goes across the country, different radio stations. If you're at a church and that church does not spend the majority of its time on a Sunday in the Bible, you need to leave that church. If Austin gets up, by the way, do you, do you hear I was making fun of you in second service? That's, that was good then. Don't listen to it. If Austin gets up and he's just playing, he's like, I feel like the Lord is just moving. We're just going to keep going. And then I get up and say, well, Thanks to Austin, we only have five minutes for God's word. Okay, that'll never happen here. And Austin would never do that. Because he knows the importance of God's word. What Sunday, what Wednesday is about is the knowledge of God's word. So when a church stops making the knowledge of God, all 66 books of his word, when they stop making that the focus and they make entertainment the focus, the me generation, then that church, as we will see, is as broke as the nation of Israel. Again, the note is Psalm 138. I have magnified your word above your very name. Again, he says, because you have rejected the knowledge, I will also reject you from being priest over me. Here we see the responsibility for the lack of knowledge falls upon the priest. It's their fault. It's the pastor's fault of a local assembly who is more afraid of the woman sitting in the front row who gives a lot of money and waters down the message so she doesn't get offended. She controls that church. Maybe you've gone to a church like that. Everyone was afraid of Mabel. If your name's Mabel here, I want to not offend you, but I was just thinking of some. Do you know that? Or some elder board or deacon board that controls the pastor. We don't have that here. Woohoo! So, thank you, Brooke. The only one that cared. Not that we don't have deacons and elders. We do. But they don't control the message. And I'm not afraid to speak God's word truthfully. It's the pastor's job to give all of God's word. Paul the apostle said, I have not shunned to declare the entire counsel of God, 
all 66 books. Maybe this is the very first time you were going through the book of Hosea, but you've been saved a while and you've been in church. What does that say about where you've been? Most of the time when I uh, teach a new book, I'll say, how many of you have been through this book, you know, here or somewhere else? And you would be surprised, maybe you wouldn't, of how little God's word is taught in the United States of America where we have, for the most part, unlimited freedom to do what we do on a Sunday and a Wednesday. And yet, out of fear, out of, as we will see in a minute, wokeness, churches aren't teaching God's word. Well, if the church doesn't teach God's word, what does that look like when the people go and vote? Well, now the people are voting for people who are not like good godly men and women. Well, then you get a nation like, well, does that sound like our nation? It absolutely does. Let's continue. It gets better. I know what you're thinking. It's almost 12. Hurry. (laughs) Not yet. Says, listen, verse 7, the more they increase, the more they sin against me. You see, they're not being taught right, so they don't know. I'm not saying it, it's okay for them to sin, but a lot of people just don't hear about their sin in church. I say this all the time. Spend time here at CCMB. We will get to your sin in one way or another. There's a lot of, we've got 66 books. It's in there somewhere, and we will get to it. But it's real easy to go to a church and to live a life when you don't hear about sin. It's always feel-good messages. By the way, and, and I don't mean this wrong, but you've been at CCMB, you've heard a message, and you leave, you're like, man, that's a bummer today. Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes it's a giant spanking from God. And sometimes it's real perky at the end. Sometimes it's not. It's just where we are in God's Word. By the way, I'm very thankful that we are in chapter 4 today before the election. He continues and he says, they eat up the sin of my people and they set their heart on their iniquity. It means their focus is on sinning. And it shall be like people, like priests. So I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their deeds. Listen to what he says. He goes, As the priests are, so the people. As a pastor wears a Hawaiian, so the others do. Weirdos. As a pastor is woke, so the church will go woke if they don't kick him out. See how dangerous it is? That's why Paul said the Bereans were the... They searched the scriptures daily to see whether or not the teachers, the pastors... We're teaching from God's Word, not out of the Bible, the actual Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Not my favorite areas of the Bible, (laughs) the actual Bible. And then he says, what does he say? Where am I? Then they shall eat, but not have enough. They shall commit harlotry, but not increase because they have ceased, listen, obeying the Lord. It's easy to cease obeying the Lord when you're not taught the word of God because then you don't know what you're obeying and not obeying. And then in verse 11, it says, harlotry, wine, and new wine enslaved their heart. You know what that means? That's all self. That's all inward. It's their enjoyment above anything else. Their entertainment above anything else. And he says, My people ask counsel from their wooden idols, and the staff informs them. For the spirit of harlotry has caused them to go astray, and they play the harlot against their God. They ask counsel from a wooden or a stone or from their iPhone. Where should we get our advice from? God. From his word. He says they they offer sacrifice 
on the mountaintops. They burn incense on the hills and under oaks and poplars and terebinths. Listen, because their shade is good. You see, it's safe there. It's a place where they feel comfortable. I hope I make you feel uncomfortable from time to time. Not, uh, not from me, but from God's word, because that's how iron sharpens iron. That's how we are pruned so that we would bear much fruit. You know what happened? This is what I want you to do. When you get offended, you're like, yes! I needed that, Lord. Thank you. Boy, that hurt. Thank you for cutting that off, that dead off. Thank you, Lord. Don't get your ball and go home and blame CCMB for that or me. I'm just a guy in a Hawaiian. He continues and he says, I will not punish your daughters when they commit harlotry, nor your brides when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go apart with harlots and they offer sacrifice with a ritual harlot. Therefore, the people who do not understand will be trampled. In order to worship these pagan gods, it involved sexual immorality. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. The knowledge of God has left the nation. The pastors aren't doing their job. And so what happens? We get a nation that's focused on transgender. That's what happened. Anybody remember this happened around the 50s? I'm a product of the 70s and 80s. That sure didn't happen. We had big hair and heavy metal. We didn't have this. Why? Because the church is going down in its influence. And the teaching of God's word is going down. And so what are you going to have? You're going to have a focus on the pagan sexual immorality. And that becomes the focus. And how dare you say there are two genders? We will be canceled because of that. Let's keep going. For Israel, oh no, verse 15, that's important. Though you, Israel, play the harlot, let not Judah offend, nor come up to Gilgal, nor go up to Beth-Avon, nor swear an oath, saying, as the Lord lives. So he says, don't go up to Gilgal. Now, you may not remember what Gilgal was, but it was a place where the prophets, specifically Elijah and Elisha, trained uh, future prophets. It was a Bible college. It was a place where they were educated. Uh, I learned this this week. I did not know this. Now, we all have heard that Harvard and Yale were established as Bible colleges. And if you don't know that, that's how they started. (laughs) Isn't that kind of funny? Uh, But what I didn't know was that Yale was not established at the same time. Harvard was the first. And the reason why they started Yale is because they thought that Harvard had started to go liberal in the 1700s. So they started Yale because they thought, no, Harvard's kind of going, are you kidding me? In the 1700s, they thought that. And so they started Yale as an alternative to Harvard. Listen, he goes on and he says, he names it Beth Aven. Hosea is twisting the name of the city of Bethel, which means house of God or house of bread, to the house of deceit. He said, what used to be a place of the house of God is now the the house where they had set up one of the golden calves in a place of worship. Ephraim is joined to idols, and they said, let him alone. What I think is interesting, we're almost done, is that he says, leave the north alone. The north is going down the path that it has gone down, and you can't save them. I have sent prophet after prophet after prophet. And you're like, I'm glad I moved out of New Jersey. Or New York. Well, there you go. (laughs) And I left California. All right, no more. I don't need to be canceled on YouTube. Like, I'm from that. I used to live in Maryland. I know that. (laughs) Ephraim is joined to idols. Let 
him alone. Isn't that shocking? God is speaking to Judah. And he's telling Judah, learn from the north. Don't be like them. It says they drink in rebellion, they commit harlotry continually, and are rulers dearly love dishonor. And the wind has wrapped her up in her wings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. God will deal with them. And they will deal with the way that they have lived their lives. And the message of the church should be always, if you are a gomer, because that's what happens when you go down the path of the world, you end up like gomer. And there are thousands and millions of people in our nation that need to hear that Jesus loves them. And they are worth all of his blood upon the cross for them. That's good news. But I want to stress today, you might be Hosea. And God has called you to do a very hard thing, which is love the unlovable and love the person who has deeply wounded you. That you don't think you can forgive them. You actually can't. You can through the blood of Jesus. And through his strength, it's hard to do that. How many of you have ever tried to uh, forgive somebody and moved on in your own strength? And then something pops up and then you blow a gasket again. You're like, how did they? Because they're a sinner. That's why they did that again and again. That's why God says to him, go again and love the woman. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a powerful image, Lord, in these two chapters. I pray for anybody today in the place of Hosea who needs strength to love the unlovable, to those who have been deeply wounded and offended by someone else, that, Father, you would give them the strength to forgive and move on. And yes, Lord, even 490 times. But I pray, Lord, today for the Gomers that they have lived a life in the world and they feel used and rejected, chewed up by the world, not worth anything, but they are precious in your sight and that you died for them and you love them. So, Lord, we thank you for our day. We thank you for this passage, and be blessed now as we spend time at your table. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to have a time of